And welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. We saw Blade Runner 2049 again. Yes. We were both keen to see it again. Yes. Um, I uh, found it particularly rewarding the second time. I, don't know about I you. did as well. A particular feature, a particular aspect of watching procedurals or films where revelations are quite important to the plot. Mm. That I think the, the second time you watch them, it's a really different experience because now you know everything that every all the truth of all the characters in the story. Yes. Um, I think the first time you're watching them, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to follow the plot and you're trying to work out what's happening and so on and so forth. And that's why the revelations have uh, a, a big impact. Um, but it does mean that you're kind of distracted from everything else because the plot is the most important thing. And the second time you watch these films, you know, so, for, so for instance, watching this, now you know from the start that Joe is not Deckard's son. Yes, and that actually it's a daughter, and you obviously you're led along the way thinking that he's the son in, uh, the first time you watch it. But now that you know that, you can concentrate on so many other things. Um, Let me um, just interject with a, yeah, a yeah. couple of things that had been bothering me, right? So I, I kind of, well, I'd like your view, but I'd also like just to get him off my chest, really. So I think in the last podcast, after we'd seen the film, I said something like, you know, that I I was queasy about the representation of women in the film, right? Mm. Uh, and actually, subsequently, you know, I've heard from friends, from friends whom I whom I like and respect very much, that you know they found the, the film dull, you know, that they found it racist, that they found it sexist, and you know, um, I'll, I'll 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 begin with the with the with the sexist bit, because actually, upon seeing the second film, what had made me queasy in in the first film was, you know, that women are machines, you know, that some of them are there for sex. Uh, yeah, kind of, mm. you know, that there's a ninja woman, you know, who is like, uh, seems a bit of a cliche from, you know, other action films from the 90s onwards. You know, that had niggled at me. But actually, I, seeing the film again today, it's put all of those things at, at rest. I mean, I now see the film as, you know, Kay, who, who kind of has these connotations. My friend Andy Griffith was saying, well, it has these connotations of like, Kafka's K, yeah, the anonymous kind of person being kind of mm. driven by forces he can't see or control. And then throughout the course of the film, here comes Joe, like everyman Joe, right? Mm. Like, you know, uh, and, you know, what happens to him is, you know, he falls in love with a machine, a machine who has shared a history with him and who he's learned to love and who has learned to love him as well, right? Because she self-sacrifices for him. The other thing that happens at the end is that he he learns to love Deckard, yeah, who is potentially also a machine, right? Mm. So you know, kind of, you know, what overcomes he becomes humanized through kind of love, learning to love, you know, that which is meant to be enslaved and unlovable, right? And actually, the worst moment and the most touching moment in the film is the moment where he sees the same model of the woman he loved, right? But actually, joy, joy, her name. joy, yes, you know, but now removed with all the history and feeling removed and just kind of objectified into an object. Yeah, kind of completely dehumanized and become just like a kind of a sex toy. Right. Mm. And that's the saddest moment in the film. That's why I said the first time I said it was heartbreaking. Although yes. I didn't I didn't uh, explain it in such beautiful terms. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so how you can 
how you can call this a sexist film when that, if you agree that that is its storyline, that's what it does, right, then it seems to me to be like the opposite of it. And aside from that, there's such a range of representation of women, right? The leader of the resistance, the Robin Wright human police character, you know, uh, the, the person that's called love, you know, that is like the most advanced kind of machine who's like, you know, the, the most powerful and knowable person next to the film's God, right? Like, or the creator, right? So, so there's just such an enormous range of representation that, that it kind of puzzles me, actually, you know? So it shouldn't puzzle me because when, you know, when I said that I had that niggle, I can see how that nib, niggle might be even more exacerbated if y- you're, you're understanding through old tropes. But if you're actually kind of engaging with what the film has to offer you, to me, that's kind of a surprising conclusion. It's become even more surprising upon my second viewing. Mm. Um, Which was the one called Love? The the Ninja. Is her name Love? Yeah. Okay. So, you know. The Ninja. (laughs) Yeah. So, so. He, well, the creator calls her love, right? You know, so oh, I'm, I missed that line twice. Then, I yeah, know. so uh, uh, which is important, right? Yeah, yeah. Because she's the opposite of it, really, right? Like, you mm. know, she's 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 the machine who lacks love, really, in in in, yeah. in comparison to all the others. So I think that's kind of thematically really interesting and 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 rich, really. He calls them his angels, yes. right? Yeah. Oh but yeah, well, there's the a whole angel- god thing going on with him. Yeah, and he goes, of all my angels, love is the best, or something. He's got right. a line, something like that. Right. It's just one too many murmured lines of dialogue, <laughs> just mm. occasionally. I go, oh, I missed that. Oh, damn. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and the other thing that I just want to spew on... Okay. ...was, um, you know, the, the um, accusation or the experience that people have that the film is dull. And, and actually, obviously, you can't deny people's experience. If they found it dull, it's dull to them. Mm. You know, but it, it made me think that maybe people have forgotten to the, the visual dimension of, you know, engaging with and making meaning from and feeling, you know, around cinema, right? That kind of... It is feeling, isn't it? It is. It's a huge component of this film is... Is, is atmosphere and feeling and and the time it takes to it's rich you know yeah visually particularly and um, but it also gets inside you sorry to cut you off no. it also made me wonder if we're if we're so used to watching narrative on television which is really so plot laden mm. right and in which dialogue occupies such a central place in communicating the plot and the story that you know we've forgotten to just watch it look <laughs> right like yeah that kind of you have this incredible image it's this huge image and it's conveying so much it's so rich right that and 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 i think at least you know from just casual conversations that i've been having with friends you know i mean that's that doesn't uh, they don't seem to see that really mm-hmm. and to be fair we did see a couple of people leaving the theater today. Yeah, they so, seem to. They didn't seem to come back, did they? Yeah. So they. So, so other people are finding it uh, dull. Well, I, as I think well. also it's it's um it is over two and a half hours long, and I think once you get into a rut with a film, it can be hard to get out of it. Mm. I think you know what it, it can be hard for the film to kind of win you back round. Yes. Um, 
But this idea that you're an agent, right? That you're somebody who's engaging with, you know, this incredible thing that's being presented with you and that you have an active role to play in it, right? That you're not kind of just lying back and let it all happen to you. That, you know, yeah. the, 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 the experience that you can have, you know, is reliant on you actively engaging, you know, all your senses with what the film has to offer, right? Kind of, it, it's, uh, it, yeah, I just kind of wondered if, the, if there's something there because, you know, how this film that's so visually rich and beautifully designed and so gorgeously filmed, you know, somebody said, oh, I didn't like the design, I didn't like, you know, mm. like, I just kind well, of... Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of baffles me. It's, it's slow, but it's very rewarding and rich, right? It rewards attention. Yes. Right. If you're if you're looking, it's not like it's hard to watch, right? It's not like you have to. It's not like if you're putting in no effort, it should be difficult to watch, you know. No, but, but it rewards your attention. Yes, but I think if you're not putting in any effort, if you're not asking what does that mean or why are we seeing this, yeah. you know, uh, or trying to connect, you know, the patterns that recur throughout the film, both in gesture and dialogue, and so if you're not kind of actively you know, trying to engaging. make sense of those things. If you're not enga- actively engaging, it could be dull because, in a way, kind of not much happens. Yeah, I th- right. Yes, like that's in, a fair in terms point. of in terms of plot, right? So, so, yeah, I can I can understand that, but I also feel well, you know, it's the it's the audience's fault. <laughs> it is a little bit, isn't it? It's nice to blame an audience every yes. time. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> so, I wanted to say was that the first time yeah. I saw it, I wasn't really moved, although I saw why it was moving. Um, at certain points, particularly towards the end, um, but I, I, I wasn't uh, trivially moved. Whereas the second time we just saw it, I got a little bit weepy at the end. Yes. Um, the vo- the very very final moments where um, Deck goes into to meet his daughter, and he it's a wonderful performance from Harrison Ford. This kind oh, of the shaky, nervous mm. reaching out, and then this half smile, and then cut to black. It's beautiful, and uh, I got a little bit choked and. It might partly be because I watched Notting Hill last night, and so I'm in that zone. Right. But um, I, you know, I think I think it's, Deckard is much more rewarding the second time round because uh, after there's such a build up from the first one. We've been waiting 35 years, mm. and Deckard has become this kind of icon of cinema. Um, and the whole question about is he a replicant or not is is one of these kind of classic sort of cinema questions despite the fact that I'm not convinced it's a very important one it's mm. it's big um, and so you kind of I think he's been built up an awful lot certainly was to me um, the idea that this is very important characters coming back and and with the benefit of hindsight watching it the second time there's so much about it which is just he's just a man yes. right he's not a superhero he's just a man who fell in love with a woman um, and now has had to live through this sacrifice of giving up his child. Yes. Um, and that, so that final reunion, right at the end, meant so much more the second time when I, with the yes. benefit of the hindsight and context. For me, kind of, you know, what I, what I um, noticed much more this time, you know, what made it more beautiful, you know, is like the connections that you could make between, between scenes, right? So if you remember Joy, when when she's with Joe, uh, in the and and he buys that new machine that basically kind of embodies her, right? That she's pure electronic code. The emanator. Uh, yeah, the emanator. 
you know, and her first gesture is to feel the elements, right? To feel the rain, yes. right? That's kind of, you know, uh, 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 and then you have uh, uh, Joe perform the same gesture on his death, right? Like he's mm. he's feeling, he's feeling the snow, yeah. Kind of, it's it's he's he's human mm. in his in his loss and in his pain and in his want. And so is Anna as well. It um, it cuts straight to her feeling a kind of. Uh, imaginary snow yes. which is making memories out of yes there's this there's this, a, a great emphasis on it's like you were saying in the first uh, podcast touch but you were talking about touch between people trying yes. to make a physical connection between people but actually the touch of of you with just the the real world yes. and there's a, there's there's an emphasis as well on um, whether whether things are real or not which as there was in the first film you know is that a real snake you think mm. i could afford a real snake these things have yeah, gone yeah. by the wayside and, and that continues in this film with um with the tree um, despite the fact that it's dead, yes. you know, uh, uh, the, the prostitute character is still impressed by it. Um, you know, I've never seen a tree before. Yes, is the, is the dog real? And yes, I I I had a thing. So so a friend of mine asked me, you know, what what is the significance of the bees, <laughs> right? And for me, the bees. You know, there's that scene where he goes and there's a beehive, and you know, kind of bees are a marker of life. Yeah, and the continuation of life in the planet. You judge the environment's health by, you know, kind mm. of the number of bees, right? But actually, there's also something about bees being part of a community and having, like, a shared history and everybody kind of contributing their bit, right? And there's that wonderful moment where, you know, he his hand is full of bees and you realize, well, he's a machine. He can't feel pain from it. Yeah, he's immune to that. And then at the end, right... Kind of, there's that lovely thing where he's touching the snow, he's feeling the snow. There's a cut to the daughter using the snow as part of memories, right? Mm. Like memories that will now be embedded into a whole bunch of yeah, yeah. people who form part of this community, like the bees, you know, who who will now have like a shared history and a shared ethos and something. Yeah, I yeah. thought. Anyway, that's my no, interpretation. That's <laughs> I think I mean, it's actually the most unrealistic part of the film is the bees, because as we know, bees are dying out, and in this terrible future where nothing lives, there's no chance of a bee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's uh, right. I mean, it is. It does sort of come out of nowhere. I, um, there is something about uh, this. Isn't like a, actually, it isn't that important a point, but it is something I think I want to bring up, which is about what a replicant actually is. Um, for one thing, there's this idea of how can a replicant reproduce, right? If, if, um, and I don't think I'm not convinced. I could be wrong. But I'm not convinced that in either film it is really explained what a replicant is. There's clearly DNA involved because you can analyze the DNA as he does in the in the um, police station. Mm. Whether there are mechanical components or not, I don't think has re- ever been really established. And I think I think it's probably more likely that there aren't. These are just no, designed no. people, right? These yeah, are not they're... machines exactly. Yes. Um, um, because actually, I think we were hasty in the first podcast talking about we, we both just assumed that it had been settled that Deckard is a replicant. Yes. Um, and watching it the second time, I was looking for, I was really paying attention to that. And actually, I think it really maintains the ambiguity because yes, it does. You're right. The idea, it's obviously Rachel is a replicant, and it's important that she's able to give birth because that's the big deal that replicant giving birth. But um, whether she's re- procreated with a human or another replicant is not hugely important. It's the fact that a replicant, one replicant at least, has been involved 
Well, it's a little, it's a little bit important, I think, because you know that leader of the resistance basically says, if we can reproduce ourselves, you know, if we can have children, then we're no longer slaves, right? Mm. Like, so actually. Yeah, that's yes. Yeah, so it's important to to a degree, but it, it but it's it, it really brings up the the question is is different depending on whether um, a human is required or not, isn't it? Yes. it? I mean, if it's if if um, Anna is half human, half replicant, then the barrier has been completely broken down. There's something in in Trevor Noah's book talking about apartheid where he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but the fact that the fact that a black person and a white person can have children is abhorrent to people who don't believe in race mixing because yes. it proves that races can mix. Yes. With, yeah, and so the idea that that can also happen in this, in, you know, kind of um, future with with the replicants and the humans would be a fascinating one. It's not something the film brings up. Maybe, you know, if there's a third film, who knows what might happen. Yes. Um, I mean, there is an idea that these things are designed to be slaves, right? I mean, actually... They're, well, they're told, you're told that. Yeah, Jared Leto says we've lost our appetite for slavery yeah. apart from... Uh, except for replicants. I think that's a major theme in the film. I mm. mean, you know, kind of these people are slaves and kind of and what you have is a liber, liber, you know, struggle Lib- of liberation, you know, to become independent and human and, and, you know, have agency and have control over your life. Yeah, I mean, that but is, it's more on a kind of a personal level, isn't it? Rather than, rather than a, a kind of, although you do see a resistance movement yes. in the background, it is very much in the background, the idea of a political liberation, it's, whereas a, a, it's more of a personal liberation yes but the film adds the dimension there so it's there right Um, now i want to ask you a couple of questions because you're better at this than i okay now people have talked about plot inconsistencies Uh, okay yes um do you see any what are they to you so somebody mentioned for example why does uh joy uh, no not joy love um leave joe alive yeah, so when, when, when she goes and she kidnaps uh, Deckard, mm. why does she leave Joe alive? I mean, he's, he's there, he's wounded, but he's alive and he goes back after her. So, what, you know, that's unclear. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Right. And also, I think there's something about, uh, about her. What's her motivation in all of this, right? Because, you see, for a while... I actually thought that the film could be open-ended, right? Because there's part of the narrative is that there were actually twins, that a boy and a girl were both born, right? And, you know, for the, on my first viewing for much of the film, I thought that the boy and the girl might be uh, uh, Love yeah. and Joe, right? Was that saying... Because that's not actually in the film, the idea that they're twins. There is a the thing about the, the conflict between, two, between the female and the male DNA, that there's a copy... Well, they say there's a copy, right? But, the, you know, c- certainly it suggests the possibility of twins, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, because basically they tell you that there was a boy and a girl and they shared the same DNA. Now, was one a copy of the other, right? Um, yeah, and we eventually find out what has happened. Mm. But certainly at a certain moment, the idea of there being possibly sure. a boy and a girl is very much alive. Okay. Right? And I'm not sure that the... the yeah, yeah. So, so for a while, I thought, oh, that would be interesting, right? If like, kind mm. of, you know, uh, those two were actually, you know, found each other, right? So even at that moment where he he's convinced, Joe's convinced that he is that child, right? 
you know, I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be interesting if then, you know, later in the narrative, somehow we get this, uh, you know, that uh, love comes in as being the other. <laughs> right. And for me, that created kind of, you know, tension. And, uh, uh, yeah, it kind of kept me alert through the first viewing, really. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that was my, my, my question about, you know, is the plot consistent or are there things that kind of don't make sense? What did you make of love? I'm calling her love. Yeah, the angel of death. Um, going to kill the Robin Wright police officer. Why did she do it? Like, in a certain way, we know why she did it because she, she wants to find... She wants to find the child. The child. But why does she have to kill the woman in order to find the child? Well, it, I suppose from a purely practical level, she has to kill her to get into the computer, but she does so really out of malice, doesn't she? Yes. Um, uh, I mean, you'd think they were on the same side. That's, you know, that, that, that's the solution that they both want. Or, you know, does, does Joy want something, uh, sorry, does Love want something else? Such as? Take over the world. <laughs> no, I mean, the thing, I think the thing, the thing is to, the thing that is important to remember about Love is that she's acting on behalf of her master. She's yes. still given orders. So she's not, I think she's not entirely autonomous. Like the point is she's still a replicant. Replicants are still slaves. Yes. So despite the fact that she is functionally the villain of the film, mm. um, ultimately she's not, in the overarching story sense, she's not. That's still Jared Leto's character. Yes. Um, did you like him better this time? Around? I did like him better this time. I, I I didn't sort of dislike him the first time around, but I uh, I I just felt slightly disappointed that I thought he was supposed to be a bigger villain than he was. I I, I got the impression from uh, uh, the trailer particularly that he was supposed to be this big deal villain that they were going to sort of take down. And obviously, the film is not that at all. The film no. is not a fight against the good and evil of of the, the big baddie. I do still think he's a little bit. Uh, overall, I mean, like he he speaks like a really conventional movie baddie, you know, talking of taking over the stars and this and the other. But he's a CEO. What CEO talks like this? But actually, I thought that was brilliant because the thing is that he says those lines, but he says it very nonchalantly. Actually, I don't think he underlines every, you know, every intonation, and he doesn't put exclamation marks. It's you know, so I think the no, way he doesn't. He doesn't deliver the lines in an overall way, but yeah. the lines are themselves. The, 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 you know, the kind of very showy, poetic. Yes. If you were one of the shareholders, you'd be going, "Get this guy, Jesus." Yeah, but you know, I think for in terms of him as an actor, he underplays all of that. He throws all those lines away, basically. Yeah, his performance yeah. is very good, and visually. He's stunning, right? Like kind of just as an image, mm. you know, that uh, uh, has been constructed with him. He's extraordinary, I think. Um, and he's extraordinary gesturally. Like there's something about, you know, his face and the use of it. And of course, in the, those enormous close-ups on IMAX, right? I think they're very powerful. His um, eyes as well. He, he's obviously kind of bionic to an extent. He's obviously a human. Yes. Um, but he has this... this uh, he's an enhanced human. Enhanced... Uh, yeah, um... Thing that allows him to control uh, these little flying droids. Yes, and I, I, what are they? And his eyes are, um, his eyes are, uh, he's got very severe cataracts. <laughs> he's got cloudy <laughs> eyes like a sky or, yeah. you know, or, a, you know, a, a, 
yeah, like at the view of a sky at night or something. You see, you kind of see like a solar system in his eyes. It's it's got that kind of, yeah, liquid, milky yeah. but dark look. I, I suppose um, this is suggesting that he's lost his vision, and that's why they look like that, or that they've been enhanced, and that's yes. why they look like that, and that's why he needs the little droids as well. Yes. Um, but but what are the little droids? Are they meant to be like little fishes? Because you know. Mm. Well, yeah, he has a little swarm of them, like yes. bees. He's the queen. <laughs> but the, And there's something also threatening and accusatory. It's almost like, yes. you know, I, I wonder if they were a little bit like sniffer dogs about your programming, right? Because, you know, kind of when Joe gets tested, right, and he doesn't pass the test. Why doesn't he pass the test? Because, you know, he's feeling, yeah, mm. it detects feelings. So, you know, there was something about kind of... You know, those little fish droids. There is this accusatory the thing going on yeah, where everyone is under um, surveillance, particularly replicants. I mean, uh, when um, when Jared Leto is using these little little drones to uh, sort of look over the new uh, uh, replicant that's just been born, mm. um, not born, but made, one of them uh, has a look at, jo- at uh, Love as well, and she has this kind of. Why? Why me? Yes. But you know, everyone, everyone sort of, despite the fact that she she's his right hand woman and she's been there forever. Yes. It's still, she sort of uh, doesn't escape the the, the gaze. She has an interesting thing where she uh, she has a weird reaction to death in a way, despite the fact that she's so brutal. Um, when Jared Leto uh, kills the replicant. Yes. She has a adverse reaction to it. She cries. Yeah. She's got this teary, uh, yeah, look in her face, right? And there's another point I can't remember which. But which is some, which is which is why I find that character like kind of so interesting. It's almost like there's something going on, you know, inside that she's got to keep in check. I thought also that, um, you know, that first killing of um, you know that replicant who hadn't quite come up to his expectations. I think part of the brutality of it is that the reason why she hadn't come up to expectation was because her womb, right, mm. uh, uh, was not fulfilling its function, which is, to, you know, he wants to find, you know, a new type of replicant that can be completely under control, but, you know, can also uh, give birth, yeah. right? So he stabs her right in the womb, right? And he says he says a line like, about it being barren. Yeah, about Salted being an empty barren. space or something. Yeah, a yeah. useless space or something. Right. So, um, you know, which is kind of, it does feel like, you know, incredibly. Well, it's like it's it's being just, murdered for being a failure of a woman. Yeah, exactly. It's right. brutal, actually. It's yeah. Horrible. And what's even more brutal is there's something about, for some reason, that whole scene reminded me of Bambi. You know, it's like. Trying to stand. Yeah, yeah, hmm. um, yeah, and also the positioning of the legs. You know, it's kind of, uh, uh, and 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 the actress playing her had quite large eyes, so I think there was kind of something like that. There's yeah. a well, it, it's trying to play up certainly innocence, and, yes, and um, as opposed to you know, experience, I suppose, and vulnerability, yes. and uh, and beauty. You know, um, so. Anyway, yeah, the camera, you know, kind of takes in her body with this long pan upwards that takes in a, a naked figure, and it, yeah, in a, in this kind of there's an awful lot of emphasis, isn't there, on on the naked women? 
Yes, there is. You know, those big adverts as well. Those 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 holographic billboards. Yes, and stuff like that. And I think this film has taken it further because if I remember like the first film correctly, you know, there was a lot of kimonos and you know there was the Joanna Cassidy character, you know, who was you know playing with her snakes in the circus or the you know the strip show or whatever it was. So you know that has certain roots in the um, in the original film. Um, But, you see, one of the things, I mean, just to go, you know, so just to be dialectical about it, one of the things that did make me think, you know, that the film really is very sexist still is that, you know, the difference here is meant to be between humans and machines, right? And so you have... Humans and... And replicants. Non-humans, like sort of imitation humans. Yeah, sorry. Humans and non-humans, right? So, you know, and the reason why you have all these pleasure, you know, joys is, you know, because kind of both non-humans and human men, you know, want something perfect to have sex with. But then the distinction is human-non-human. Why aren't these all there? Why aren't there all these male sex slaves half naked or, you know, offering their services, you know, to the women who are humans, right? Yeah, that is sexist, you know. So I think there is, you know, well, I suppose my... my um, I think it's likely to be more of a demand from the men. Why? That's I think such that, a I, sexist thing to no, say. No, I, I think that's probably... <laughs> I think, to be honest, that's probably the way it is. I think, you know, I think people... I think men... Men are more promiscuous. Well, and cheat more. Perhaps. And, um, um, I, mean, do, I mean, for instance, do gay women... Have cottages. Like, I think that's. I think. I don't think it's a gay thing. I think it's a masculine thing. Well, that's probably true. But nonetheless, which I know, I realise how kind of uh, yeah, general. That's nonetheless, is. you know, it, I think it is telling that you know the assumption. Well, that the assumption is that women w- wouldn't want to have sex, mm. right? Uh, um, the assumption is also that there would be no gay people, you know, amongst the humans. Uh, With the exception, Robin Wright. Does want to have sex with um, uh, Joe? Oh, do you remember she um, w- when she's in his apartment and they're talking about the the child's got loose and or, or the news of the child has got loose? So what's going to happen next? And she asks him the memory and they're having a drink, and she says, "What happens if I finish this?" And there's this implication of, "Are we going to?" Because then actually, uh, yeah, okay, no, you're right. Because he but, then talks about it with Joy afterwards. Okay, so but you see, like uh, um, so she's sexually, and I uh, think I think the thing is they can't say no, can they? Uh, but that's, you know, that could have been brought out more. Uh, in any case, I think there is an argument to be made on that level, right? And also kind of people have been talking about the racism in the film. And again, I get it, right? Like, you know, it's it's a film in which the protagonist is a white guy. But I just think in comparison to what are you comparing it to? I, you know, if the film had starred Denzel Washington, which could very well, very well have done, you know, then the balance of all of that thing would have changed, really. Mm. You know, um, I yeah, but I kind of. I mean, I suppose uh, from a from just a plot logic sense, it um, if uh, the main character were not white, then there wouldn't be this question of am I the son or not? Yes, because um, you know that 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 would be different if he was black. But um, I mean, I do think it's basically notable that there are only two black characters. One of them has almost no lines. He's just one of the cops in the back yes. of the room. 
and the other one is uh, the the child slaver. Yes, I can't think of another one. Yes, but I think you can see that the film has taken pains with it, right? Because, you know, the 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 child slaver is basically a Fagin character, right? Yes. There's no need to cast that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was some blind casting in relation to that, really. And then certain things you wouldn't want to cast. You know, because then you you open up you, you, yourself to accusations of racism. I mean, for, so for example, you know, I noted that the three hookers that approach him at the beginning are all white, right? Mm. And, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can understand why that would be the case. Um, so so the, I just think, I just think to, to sit, yeah, and don't get me wrong. I think, you know, there are problems with all of the above, but I think, you know, they're just the problems of Hollywood cinema. I don't see why you would single out this particular film for It's possible that people would single it out just thinking about it because what Rid- of what Ridley Scott said about um, Exodus, when he was making Exodus and, and people were saying, this is a film set in, in the Middle East, essentially. Uh. Why, why is everybody white and American? And he said, if you want to try and make this film with Middle Eastern actors, good luck to you. You'll never get the funding. More or less, what you said. Right. So, and obviously, this film is produced by Ridley Scott still because it's. It, um, yeah, but the, but you know, this is an American the, film. I mean, you know, there could have been kind sure. of. Sure, I'm not saying that's you know, that's much of an argument, really. I'm saying um, that might be a reason. I mean, people instead of casting Robin Wright, you know, you could have cast Halle Berry or you know some forty-ish yellow or Jada Pinkett Smith or. You sure, know, but, they, then, but then the, what people that would then point out is, but they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, the point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Um, Anyway, I, think, I, feel... I think the girl he played um, Joy is Cuban. Ah. Although I don't, she doesn't particularly look Hispanic uh, or, or Latina, but um... but she looks Cuban actually. She does. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I don't really know Cubans. Um, I only so... know Castro. Hey, give me a sec. I just want to find out what the the music is for Joy because I can't think. It's not the Pastoral Symphony, but it's is it Peter and the Wolf? The the music that when she starts up. And everyone hears. I mean, actually, I thought this was. And I thought when I thought this, this is quite a sexist thing to think. But um, uh, on a couple of occasions, the um, the music, and then and then people hear Disney film. But look it up. It's Peter and the Wolf. I'm sure it is. Um, uh, but when that music plays and and uh, people hear that he has a, a virtual girlfriend. Um, the one of them is love, and love says, "Oh, I see you're a customer." And he goes, "Yes, yes, she's very realistic." And the other one is the prostitute, who says, "Oh, you don't like real girls." And and when that happened, I thought, "Why wouldn't you just put her on silent?" But then I realised that is really sexist. <laughs> <laughs> put your girlfriend on silent. <laughs> I'm sure it's Peter and the Wolf. Which then, because to be fair, when I thought it was the Pastoral Symphony, I thought. Oh well, you know this is kind of relationship to you. It's a kind of imitation of of something natural. But then, if it's Peter and the Wolf, then uh, I I um I don't know Peter and the Wolf all that well. You see, so no, it's I don't do tougher either. to interpret. Um, which is why, to be honest, they should have used the Pastoral Symphony because then I would have had an easier time. Okay, do you want the Parisian caramel? <laughs> what? <laughs> do you want the caramel from Paris? Oh no, no, I'm alright. Thanks. I better not. Okay. <laughs> it's a great film. It's a great film. There's so so much food for thought, and it's and and as I said the first time, I can live in it. I can bathe in it. It's it's beautiful to just sit there and allow. The, the, I mean, the the work that's gone into it. You know, the 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 design, the thought, the care, the imagination. 
it's unparalleled. And then the work in actually making it real, it's incredible. There's yes. not a kind of a wrong foot in kind of the way it's put together. It's amazing to look at. It is very beautiful. To. And actually, I, the whole beginning, you know, when that little car is driving through space or that little spaceship is driving through space, it felt like a, a 1980s Nintendo game or something, right? Like, <laughs> you know, there was something... The top down. Uh, there was yeah. something kind of, you know, cheap looking about it, but like, you know, evoking of an era or something. And then kind of the way that the design unfolds and that it all kind of meshes together is really kind of very beautiful. And it know? coheres. It has actually, in some respects, it has more of a comic book feel than comic book movies do because comic book movies are all about the plots. They're all about yeah. they're all about the characters that you know from the comics and the plots and everything. But what they don't have is a comic book look. Um, they just look like action movies. And actually, yeah. to, to find a comic book movie that looks like a comic book, you have to go back to... Uh, Hulk, the Ang Lee one, where mm. he's trying to do stuff with like panels kind of crossing over each other, which doesn't really work all that well, but he's trying. Yes. I mean, to me... In this film, there's a use of colour, the way that comic books do, with the way that palettes are used to envelop scenes and give yes. them cogency. So you have the entire thing, the yellow and orange and red, yes. when he goes to the radioactive place. Yes. And you have the, the just the white. It's almost grayscale, some of those scenes in the police yes. station. Um I, I I also I mean you know so so in a way kind of um, the comic book movie analogy doesn't work for me but I think what you do point out that I, that I feel quite strongly is that you know in comic books you have panels that are so symbolic right like you know the kind of you, they really are trying to express within very limited means and kind of you know get get the most expressiveness out of that kind of little square box line drawings basically. yeah. And you get that here, right? Because some of the images are actually quite simple, like graphically, you know. But but then they're kind of very potent. They're very powerful. They work very effectively. And it's that simplicity of what the what the images are built out of that makes them more powerful. They're not mm. cluttered and mm. that, that simplicity of design. Yeah. But, but what it also takes basically is is a, a real kind of artist's eye to build to to create those those images. Yes. I mean, you can. There are also very well, simple films, very visually simple films, and that go, aren't expressive. And to go back, you know, to I think why maybe you know some people are 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 bored, you know, when watching the film is because you know most of the film's meaning and feeling and expression is being conveyed through these images. It's not through action largely and it's not through words right kind yeah. of you know the images are carrying the majority of the work of the film and if you're if you don't give yourself over to them and if you don't kind of engage and and question and engage in a dialogue with those images then you know i can see why the film seems an impoverished experience yeah. to some but not to me all i meant to say about the comic books was not that um not that blade runner is trying to use panels so it's not at all um all i meant to say was that uh, actually, it's, really, it's just a criticism of comic book movies because if you're trying to interpret comic books onto the cinema screen, you think you'd like to do it visually, which they don't at all. Whereas, actually, you can identify uh, a certain technique, mm. which is the use of, of, of colour palettes um, to, to give scenes cogency. That is a technique which is absolutely on display in Blade Runner. Mm. which And you'd think that it should really be on display in The Avengers or something. It's yeah. just not. Yes. You know? And like I say, if you go back and watch Hulk, you, you, there's a couple of those scenes with montages where uh, images start kind of flying in from all over the place and, and they actually use uh, panel-like imagery to to build these montages. It really doesn't work overall. Mm. 
but he's trying, you know, and he's 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 going. Let's instead of just having a comic book character do the stuff that he does in the comics, let's try and convey it visually too. Mm. It's a failure, but a noble one that film. Okay, last word on Blade Runner two thousand forty nine second viewing. Uh, superior to the first time, and the first time was great. I, I. It's so much more rewarding because once you've once you've you know got all that stuff in your head about what the plot is, and you no longer have to concentrate on following the details. Um, you, you know, kind of character and the look of the film. Uh, become so much more important, and they are rich and fulfilling and nutritious, like the best breakfasts. Okay, well, on that note, <laughs> 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 let's leave it here. <laughs>